Arab American Cafe podcast aims to surface a unique perspective. The Arab American perspective. Perspective that should be heard. And it is worth learning about. Join Muhannad and Hassan at this cafe, talking about stuff, debating, and discussing relevant issues while sipping coffee. Today at the cafe, we ran into Mona Mackey, director of Access Community Health and Research Center in Dearborn, Michigan. We discuss a very important issue, that is domestic violence. We discuss domestic violence in the Arab American community, social taboos, religious and cultural barriers, and how it differs from one ethnic community to another. We also learn about what works and what needs to be done in dealing with this issue. All this at the Arab American Cafe. Let's listen. What I was saying, you know, when it comes to domestic violence, uh, we don't have it as visible. It's not, we don't have that light shined on those instances where domestic violence can be occurring, probably because of the fact that maybe abusers and abused normalize this, maybe because there's a social taboo, cultural taboo around it. But yet it is a real problem. And maybe the COVID pandemic uh, resulted in worsening of the situation along with other adverse outcomes. Uh, so on both mental and physical health. You're, you're absolutely right, Hassan. This is something that not only in, in our culture, but in every culture, when you talk about domestic violence, there is a stigma associated, there is fear associated, the victim is always reluctant to come out and share. Uh, what's happening to her. There's always society that that, uh, is keeping things as hush-hush. And I think this is mostly amplified in in cultures where where the man is the dominant figure and the woman is always not. And there is even the the family members of the victim that would tell her, well, well, that's okay, just tolerate it or something like that. And I don't know, Mona, I'm sure in, in, in what you are experiencing through what you do for work and all that, this this thing comes out very frequently. It, it does, Dr. Hamami, more often than not, uh, when we victims reach out to us, and I'm going to refer to them as survivors, uh, when they reach out to us, uh, it's in their trying to seek help. Often there's a lot of pressure from family members, community members, from our faith leaders uh, to kind of stick it out, uh, often putting the blame on the victim, uh, again, the survivor. Um, and, and, and this makes the situation so much harder for them to seek help. So you're right, there's a lot of resistance. Uh, just recently got a call from a, a young mom with two young children who's experiencing abuse. And you know we've been going back and forth with her. And at the end, she's like, but my parents are pressuring me Uh, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to start. And again, this is a huge problem because as a society and as a community, we cannot accept this behavior. And according to the CDC, I want to stop here and kind of talk about what is domestic violence and what is the definition. And oftentimes uh, people will refer to it as intimate partner violence. And it really describes physical violence, sexual violence, stalking, or psychological harm by a current or former partners or spouse. This is a serious preventable public health problem. And unless we change the way that we think about domestic violence and see it as a crime that it is, we are going to continue to to encounter uh, this issue, and more so in our community as we're seeing an increase in the number of survivors reaching out. I mean, I can tell you that during the pandemic, we nearly saw a double 
in the caseloads uh, as as people were reaching out, uh, feeling trapped in their homes, nowhere to go. And one of the things Access did to, to not disrupt you know the communication is we provided tablets to every survivor who knows how to use it and wanted one to make sure that they had access uh, to services and uh, when they need to reach out to, uh, for help. You know what? We, if anything, we learned from this pandemic is that you know at the beginning. Uh, this was a population that was pretty much forgotten about. And people did not know that this was happening in the homes and that they were trapped in their homes. So this is this is a really serious problem that really needs a community effort, uh, needs everyone to be on, on board if we're going to put an end to domestic violence. Well, if we look at the macro level, if we go up and take a 30,000 feet uh, view, you uh, at Access are dealing with a subgroup of the Arab American population. Uh, those who don't necessarily have access or have the ability to go somewhere else for help. But uh, to me, I guess the people who are subjected to domestic violence are of different various uh, backgrounds. And that's really the question that I would like to ask you. Uh, who, uh, who is a typical victim uh, of, of, of domestic violence? I mean, who's more likely to be subjected to this and why? So if we look at age, for example, right? Younger women are typically uh, more likely to get abused. If we look at uh, someone who has a, you know, is abusing substances, um, someone who was abused as a child, right, is more likely to end up in an abusive uh, relationship. Ethnicity, you know, looking at that and, you know, non-white women are more at risk. So if we look at minority groups and and uh, uh, people of color, specifically African-Americans are more likely at, at risk. You know, again, and then looking at the immigrant population, people uh, who are newly arrived here, that they're at risk, right? Because they're going through adjustment. And what we've seen, you know, over the years is a lot of times uh, they they uh, engage in a, a relationship in a marriage, uh, you know, overseas. And once they bring them over here, uh, we see a high incidence of, of abuse with those cases as well. As, as you said, Muna, the, this is something that affects every community. And uh, I'm sure you have better understanding of how it is in the Arab American community. But are there predictors that we can tap into to say um, level of education, socioeconomic income, uh, background, whatever, that make some people more at risk to either uh, engage in, in domestic violence or be on the receiving end of that, and the, whether it's in general or how does it specifically relate to the Arab American community? When we look at uh, individuals, now whether we're looking at the perpetrator or we're looking at a victim, right? Individuals who uh, grow up in abusive environments are more likely to abu be abusers themselves or end up in an abusive situation or with an abusive partner. Also, you know, you talked about socioeconomic status, education, language. I mean, these are all barriers, right? But we have to pay attention to that. And we have to look at this on both ends. Look at it from the perpetrator's side, um, you know. So you, you ask the 
question. Like, I think the more important question is, you know, how can we identify someone who is a perpetrator, right? So looking at, you know, a history of, of mental illness, again, growing up in an abusive environment, uh, substance use disorder. I mean, looking at someone who has low self-esteem, looking at someone who uh, doesn't have, you know, isn't able to keep a job, for example, uh, manipulative behavior. So all of those are signs and red flags that we should be looking out. So, and on the victim side, Again, you know, people, women of younger age are more likely to be victimized. Women who don't have support, right, and who often find themselves isolated are more likely to, to be victims themselves. And again, we see the language barrier, uh, not knowing how to access services, not knowing where to go, and then the shame and the stigma that, that is attached with domestic violence, as you indicated earlier, is, is also a factor that we have to, to consider. So again, you know, how did I end up, you know, like, you know, I always talk about my personal experience, you know, that was back in the 1990s. Uh, and I, I experienced domestic violence 18 years of my life and I another two years to free myself. But again, it was the, the pressure from the community. It was, you know, the pressure from the faith community, uh, lack of support. So I had nowhere to go, you know, and it wasn't until I found access that I was able to get the support that I needed to free myself. Myself. So again, you know, looking at history, you know, uh, of looking at, you know, what the victim is going through, you know, what does the, the social network look like? What are the barriers that look like? And, and these factors, you know, not being educated, not having the resources that you need, not having family support or community support, you know, the, they will most likely end up, you know, in an abusive relationship. Uh, there is this notion that sometimes the abuser doesn't know that they're abusing uh, and then the abused may consider it just you know a fact uh, of that relationship where there's a you know they they're okay to be dominated and i mean that probably is not the 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 overwhelming majority these are the exceptions but apparently in some societies and uh, when i was looking at the statistics uh, it's even codified in the law for instance in in one of the Arab countries, and I don't want to be starting to, you know, name names here. It's okay for the husband to dominate the wife. In other places, honor killing is okay. Um, not necessarily codified in the law, but it wouldn't be penalized the way it ought to be penalized. And uh, the, in most Arab countries, except for probably one, there are no laws penalize domestic abuse. And if there are in, in a couple of other countries, uh, it's it's really inefficient law or very deficient law, so to speak. So so some of our Arab Americans, especially first generation of Arab American, come in and bring with them those uh, those social cultural facts to them that are acceptable and they come in and practice that in this country and I'm sure you run into those type of things when you're uh, on the job dealing with situations like this correct absolutely um, you know it's looking at the uh the Arab family system, right? And the structure within the system, the role of the male and the role of the female. And oftentimes uh, the male is the provider and often wants to control what's going on in, in the family. And again, if they grew up in that abusive environment or if they misinterpret the religion to, to think that they have that control where this type of behavior is okay. You know, I'm gonna talk about a short uh, case that, that you know was a couple years ago 
ago, but we had a, a CPS worker bring in a, a woman uh, who is Yemeni to the agency and she was telling us, you know, this abuse, if it continues, we are going to take her kids. You guys need to explain this to her. And I remember this, this woman had an infant child and four children with her. And when we were explaining, you know, the, the laws here and that this is, this is wrong and the impact that it has on her children, she took her, her young infant child and handed it to me and told me, you know what, take my children there, you know, I'm fearing for my life. And I remember at that time we had to intervene uh, to the family in Yemen to explain to them that this type of behavior is not okay and that she's going to lose her children as a result of this if we don't get her the help that she needs. And it took several conversations and this doesn't just happen in the Yemen community. It happens among most immigrant uh, communities and people from different uh, backgrounds. But I remember this case and again, you know, thinking that this type of behavior is okay when it's not. So we do see that very, very often, and that presents a problem. And so, you know, sometimes when we want to offer the family help and offer the, the perpetrator help, they often refuse our in denial because you're right. They don't see this as a problem. And that's a problem with, within itself. So Muna, th- let's say, hypothetically, I come in and I am identified as a victim for domestic violence. And and it's probably noteworthy that when we talk of domestic violence, although the majority is against women, but there are some instances where males can be subject to that. But but probably, again, all that you have dealt with are, are women. So what kicks in? I, I show up and I say, I am fearing for my life or I am suffering because of this. What are the measures that that are put in place to follow? Absolutely. But I want to just highlight that men are also uh, subjected to be in uh, domestic violence situations. We don't talk about it often because it just happens to happen more uh, with women. And so we tend to focus on that. But I do want to say that we do see uh, men coming in who are abused and that experience very similar abuse to, to what, what a, a woman would, would uh, you know, experience. So usually when we get the calls whether the, the the survivor calls themselves or it's a family member or community person reaching out first we we want to meet them where they are at right because these are difficult very difficult situations and these are tough decisions that often have to be be made and there's a lot of fear when we get these calls and there's so much anxiety and trying to do the right thing and trying so we explain to them you know what the program looks like what type of services are available to them and they decide what services they need you know sometimes they come in they just want a ppo sometimes they just need financial assistance sometimes they need counseling sometimes they need peer support sometimes they need so it, it really we leave it up to them to so that they can make the decision that is best with for them. So once we start working with them, again, they they make these decisions as they go along. Our job is to provide the support and the resources uh, for them when they're ready uh, to make that decision. So one of the concerns is oftentimes people think, if I call, that means I have to make a decision right now. I'm not ready to make a decision. And these are, again, tough decisions. We work with them based on where they are at. We're very, you know, client-centered, and we just want to make sure that we are there to provide that level of 
support. Again, access. If you look right now and try to find resources for for survivors of domestic violence, you'll you, you'll you'll Google it. You'll find a number of shelters, but you're going to find very few organizations that provide the comprehensive services that we provide. You know, at access again from legal to financial to case management to psychiatry to counseling financial support, employment support. I mean, whatever it is that they need to help them rebuild their lives. So when it comes to the Arab American communities, uh, and I say communities because uh, sometimes uh, things are not the same depending on which country of origin the person comes from. When it comes to those individuals, those subgroups, if you will, is there any twist that makes it a bit different from what you'd encounter out there because we're not white. I mean, it must be, in my mind, uh, uh, more important to engage probably other family members, maybe uh, people of faith. Mabarif, uh, uh, what do you think? I mean, so let's think about what happens when there's an issue within a home. Usually, access is not going to be the f- first place that they go to. Usually when there's family issues within a family, they usually go to our faith leaders uh, for advice and for help with those situations, right? And, you know, we we try to work very closely with our faith community because we know that they're going and that's where a lot of the problems are being dealt with. And so you're right. It's, it's you know, the Arab Uh, world is 22 countries. So we have people from all over the place, from different backgrounds uh, coming to us. And, you know, we we take our time to learn about what's important to them. We have to take into consideration uh, their beliefs, uh, culture, their religious practices. So all of these things become an important factor. And whenever possible, if our client for example, uh, agrees to have family involved, then we will get the family involved. So really we leave it up to the survivor to decide what is that course of action look like for them and what is the best option for them. But again, there's a lot of pressure because we often get cases where the family finds out that the person came to access and then they start threatening us. You know, you can't provide services. Uh, This is a family issue. You guys need to stay out of it. And you know, because of confidentiality, first we can't say if someone, if we're, we're seeing someone or we're not seeing someone. So we take this very, very seriously. Confidentiality, pri- privacy, safety, all of these things are, are, are you know, being taken into consideration because then, again, we know the dangerousness in these type of situations. And the most dangerous time for a survivor is when they decide to make that move that they are going to leave the situation. I'm reminded I work, uh, uh, my clinic is sharing same space with an OBGYN clinic. So in the restroom, you'd find those little tiny cards that says, if you're subjected to domestic abuse, call this number. It's right there in the restroom. I mean, it's amazing how, uh, you know, you wouldn't imagine that that's that's where people look for help, (laughs) right? But bottom line is, chances are uh, our Arab American abused individual who requires some form of uh, support with uh, with a cultural component uh, is going to be looking anywhere and everywhere for help. And thank God there are programs like yours uh, to do that. Yeah, I, I echo that completely. Uh, you know, there, there has been a lot of jokes about uh, people, uh, especially a husband and wife and a family, that are forced to be locked down because of COVID-19 and the pandemic and all that. But 
Um, in real life, how how is that? Are you seeing any of this contributing to a peak in problems that you are describing? Again, this pandemic taught us a lot. It taught us. It taught families a lot and, and, and married couples a lot about themselves. We saw even the happiest couples, you know, struggle during the, the pandemic. So you can imagine what that was like if you're living, you know, with an abusive partner and being in a lockdown situation, how difficult that was. And again, as I mentioned earlier, our numbers nearly doubled during the time frame of, you know, over the course of, of 10 months. So we definitely saw that this had uh, several impacts on, on families and not just, you know, ones that were experiencing problems, you know, previously, but even folks that were, were tend to get along, but spending a lot of time together and learning more about each other. For some, you know, it, it, they learned a lot that, that, that they weren't, you know, a perfect match anymore and that they couldn't continue to to live together. So we, we've seen, you know, over the course, many different situations. But uh, yeah, as you, you mentioned, I mean, uh, it happened among even the best. So uh, as far as uh, proposed measures uh, to be followed in order to mitigate uh, those type of situation, what, what would be, uh, if you will, the, uh, the order to follow what if somebody has a problem if somebody sees a problem recognizes situation what would be the order to follow in order to stop this from evolving and, and, and escalating when we witness or see or suspect that someone is living in an abusive uh, relationship our first job is to acknowledge that that is wrong and that we have to work harder and we have to do more to support survivors and and if they need help getting out of those situations that that you know again it's a it's going to take a community we can't say that we're against domestic violence but yet we know of a situation where uh we're not intervening so the first we got to speak up and we have to encourage and support survivors to get the help that they need and we have to stop when we see an abuser we have to stop and say you know what this is wrong you know this is this is what you are doing is not right for your family and it's it's called intervention and prevention and we have to start we got to go back a little bit you know and prevention has always been there and i think now more than ever uh, should be a bigger emphasis on it about educating our sons and daughters about healthy relationships and when we see something we need to speak up and we need to be able to to talk to the individuals and make sure that we uh, you know support the survivor to get out of that dangerous situation and again we see it all the time I mean you know I, I do want to talk a little bit about our faith community you know if you would have asked me the question how are we doing as an Arab American community three years ago I would have been very optimistic because we, you know, we, we were on the right track. And then now more recently, you know, with our faith community, we have faith leaders who want to do the right thing, but they're outcasted. And, you know, without going into details, you know, we, 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 what we're seeing is that these group, these men have formed, you know, like a, almost of a coalition of their own where they're going to the mosques, they're threatening the mosques and threatening the religious leaders that if you divorce, our wives we're not going to support the mosques and who are the financial supporters for the mosque mostly men and so you know if we're going to change this problem we all have to be on board with 
acknowledging that it's wrong. So if these individuals are going to the mosque and threatening the mosque and threatening the religious leaders, what are they doing in their homes? This is fascinating, Mona. It's, it's, uh, there are a lot of things that we don't know. And, and as we mentioned earlier, these are truly forgotten voices that we need to bring up to the front and, and make sure that people are aware of this. Uh, with, with that said, you just mentioned something that is very important about us as a community. Um, how do we match? Are there against other ethnic communities? Let's say African Americans or Hispanic Americans, or even how do we compare to Arabs in the Arab world? And are there lessons that we can learn from each other in what works and and how? What what is it? that we can do with either programs or resources that might be available to other communities that we can tap into and uh, benefit from. Again, you know, this problem, as you mentioned, happens in, in all communities. I mean, if we look at Europe, right? This, there's been a global push to end domestic violence, not just a local and national one. And the Europe's largest human rights organization, the seven, 47 um, Nation Council of Europe has called on legislators throughout Europe uh, to uh, better protect women uh, and children, right? So there is a lot of efforts on the ground. I, I have to say there are amazing advocates, amazing organizations out there that are working together. Even us, we work with other uh, community uh, organizations and there's so much effort to end domestic violence. So again, it happens in all communities um, and this is a problem across the board. And learning from each other really it's about working together, right? Because every community is different. But you know, when it comes to domestic violence, there's a lot of similarities. And when we look at the Arab American community, just looking at you know the the the, the uh, belief system and the culture and the religion and and being able to take all of that into consideration. But if we look at other you know groups, a lot of these things are are similar across the board. And I just want to say you know another indicator of domestic violence because we talked about it is I want to mention that oftentimes times mental health if a if a woman is experiencing mental health that also she's more likely to be abused by her partner because they won't allow them to seek the help that they need so i just kind of wanted to point that out there because that's you know mental health is a huge huge issue the other thing that i thought was interesting a local uh uh mosque reached out to me actually last week and they were talking about the number of, of domestic violence cases that they're seeing and really wanted access to step in to provide you know webinars education any type of support and you know one of the things that they said was porn porn is becoming porn addiction is becoming an issue in the arab american community uh and creating problems for the family where now they're reaching an reaching out about that. So, you know, there's, again, a lot of things that we're seeing, a lot of new things that we are seeing, you know, gambling is also another uh, issue. And then, you know, with substance use disorder, right, this is becoming a huge, huge problem, because if someone's abusing substances, and they have an abusive past, more likely to abuse their partner. So we're seeing a lot of things that we are now learning about as a community. But again, it's really going to 
take a, a whole village to solve this problem. It's going to take each and every one of us to take a stand against. It's not It's not enough to just know that domestic violence is wrong. That's not enough. We have to intervene. When we see something is wrong, we have to intervene and we have to voice our concerns and we have to be able to provide that supportive lens on both ends if we're going to have a healthier uh, community moving forward. Which speaks uh, to the fact that uh, we always think of ourselves that we are immune to whatever can affect other communities and we always say our traditions and our cultures and even our faith is a protective buffer and all that but just what you just mentioned about the ills of society that comes through globalization and and exposed to other civilizations is certainly something that we are experiencing similar to any other ethnic minority or another ethnic group which which probably requires another conversation you know you can confirm something that I always suspected, Mona. Those guys who go to the mosque shouldn't be going to the mosque in the first place. <laughs> At least those who go in there and pretend that they're God-fearing people and pay money to the mosque and end up, when they go home, abusing their wives. They do not belong to the mosque. And I just want to point something out because uh, you guys are physicians. I, I recently did a talk in Maui on uh, domestic violence screening in the emergency department, a missed opportunity. And I want to mention this because there was a national survey on preventative health services in the U.S. emergency departments. And 66% indicated that they had the protocols in place and the screening tools that they needed, and yet they miss it three out of four times. We have a lot of work to do on, on every, you know, spectrum. You know, we have to do it on the educational side. We have to do it on, on our faith, you know, side. We have to do it on our uh, health system side. We have to, a lot of work with the community. So we, we, as an Arab American community, have a long way to go. We have a huge problem. And it's going to take each and every one of us to take the stand and to say that this is a crime. This is not an acceptable behavior. And I didn't even get to touch on the impact, the short and long-term impact that this has on children. If you look in the eyes of a child who you know is in an abusive environment and see the pain in that, the, the eyes of that child, I know that you will do more to stop domestic violence. Mona, this is uh, fascinating. We're so happy that we ran into you at the cafe. And uh, next time you go to Maui and you need someone to help you, make sure you let us know. We'll be more than happy to join you. So this was the conversation overheard at the cafe. Please share it and subscribe to the podcast and email us your ideas and thoughts to podcasts at ArabAmericanCafe.com or join the conversation on Twitter at AACafePodcasts. Mm-hmm.